Hey, seasoned athletes, I'm Robin Leggett, and this is episode 49 of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. This is your home for inspiring stories and motivational advice from competitive athletes representing a wide variety of sports who all share one common bond. They are all over 40 years old. We're here to prove one story at a time that age does not have to prevent you from achieving your bold athletic and fitness goals. To learn more about this podcast and see show notes from this or any episode, visit seasonedathlete.me. And if you like what you hear, I would love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Today, I bring you my final interview from the 2018 Spartan PodFest that took place at the Spartan World Championships at Squaw Valley Resort in Lake Tahoe last September. This interview features world-renowned endurance athlete and current World OCR president, Ian Adamson. A little background on Ian. He started his athletic career as a young age group cyclist in 1973. From 1996 to 2006, he accumulated 10 world championship wins, 22 world championship podium finishes, and gold, silver, and bronze medals at the ESPN X Games. He's a three-time Guinness World Record holder for endurance kayaking and has competed internationally in adventure racing, triathlon, canoeing, kayaking, orienteering, and sailing. He was also founder of Team Nike, the world's most successful adventure racing team, and was featured on the Eco Challenge and other television shows from 1995 through 2007. And Ian continues to participate in obstacle course racing and endurance sports as an age group athlete, something we talk about in our interview. The primary focus of our conversation is his work with World OCR and how this and other sport federations benefit athletes of all levels, from the weekend warrior to the elite competitor. Plus, Ian drops some tidbits on the benefit of keeping an active lifestyle as you age, something he knows a bit about as a former competitor and lifetime athlete. Without further ado, here is Ian Adamson. Hi, Ian. Yeah, hi, Robin. Welcome to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. Thank you so much. We are here at Spartan World Championships in Lake Tahoe for Spartan PodFest. And uh, what brings you out here specifically? Uh, so my day job is president of World OCR. World OCR uh, is the international governing body for obstacle sports worldwide. We, uh, our members are the national federations and national federations, for example, would be uh, the Danish Obstacle Course Racing Federation, uh, USA Obstacle Course Racing, uh, Obstacle Sports Canada, and we have 80 countries with national federations. Uh, we are required to have 40 countries with federations that are recognized uh, to achieve um, international recognition, uh, which is really means through the International Olympic Committee. Yeah. So, so you're w- working on making obstacle racing recognized for the Olympics specifically or just for international competition? Well, the job of the federations is to represent the needs of the a- athletes. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, it's a, it's, a, it's a democratic federative system and it's a non-profit system. So the, the athletes' needs are generally things like safety. They want the races to be safe. Uh, fairness. So at competition level, means things like uh, doping controls, anti-doping, which ultimately is under uh, the World Anti-Doping Authority Code, Water Code. Uh, and then that's deployed nationally um, by what we call NATO's National Anti-Doping Authorities. Now, World OCR, the International Federation, is required to, um, to help with that, uh, what we want to do and what we're required to do. So that's part of the fairness thing. And then there's cost. So most people who do any sport want it to be cheaper and more accessible. That is true. Representing the needs of the athletes, we help with that by aggregating um, the athletes, which is on a, from through the national level system, so through the national 
uh, federations. They organize the athletes within their country. They're the members of the national federations. Then on a scalable system to have uh, safety, fairness and cost controlled, the World Organization uh, works on that. And an example for cost, people will go, well, how do you make something cheaper? It's actually fairly straightforward, um, in obstacle especially, because you don't want obstacles falling over and killing people, which unfortunately has happened. Uh, having safety standards for how to design, build and maintain obstacles uh, helps with safety. If safety is good and things don't break and hurt people, insurance goes down. Right. The cost for the event producers goes down. And on a mass scale, so aggregating all of the events on all the countries, it's a very effective way to make cheaper events. Yeah. And, then, so and, and safer, cheaper events. Yeah. Everyone wants that. Savings gets passed down to the consumer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's uh, things like competition rules. Uh, yeah. Now, that's not a, a rigid structure. That is a framework within which um, national federations, championship competitions, and the brands themselves can use to have fair competition so that people don't get pissed off at, well, that was a dumb rule or yeah, that person cheated. Yeah, fairly or, enforced. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, so that's the federations. And what what is your connection? What brought you into this? Do you Are you a competitor yourself? Uh, I have a, a bit of a history with competition. I started quite young. Um, in 1973, I started competing in cycling, road cycling, uh, and I took that to national level, and then also sailing, took that to international level, got uh, some World Cup medals, uh, and then tried my hand at canoeing, made national teams and world championships, but could never make a games. I was always chasing the games thing, like the Olympic Games, never yeah. made it. I uh, did get three X Games medals, so gold, silver, and bronze X Games medals, uh, plus 10 world championships and three sports. So I, I was successful at the world level. Uh, yeah. but never made a games, which, well, I did. I went to games, but not the Olympic games. Yes. And there's a difference. <laughs> yes. And I, you know, I forgot to ask the question that I ask all my guests. What's your age at this moment in time? I'm 54. 54. And are you currently competing? I, I would say most people would see my participation as competition. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely do a lot of, I'm in a lot of events, which are competitions, which technically means I guess I'm competing. Uh, for me, I'm really not because I don't want to compete anymore. I spent the better part of 20 years competing at the highest level, and um, I'm passionate about it. I absolutely love it, and I love going in the races. What I don't love doing is competing. It's, <laughs> and I think it's, it's kind of hard to say this, but it's, it may not be fair if, you, if you've got someone like Rod Dixon or, or mm-hmm. some of these other Olymp- Olympians who know how to compete and have made a career of it it's a slightly different level from competing at, say, age group. Yeah. I mean, I can jump in an age group, and I do sometimes, and I will track my result, but it, I, don't, I don't compete with them. Right, right. And, yeah, it's, and it's an interesting transition that happens, especially in what you would consider a newer sport, yes. is that, you know, a lot of times it'll start with amateurs. And then people with, you know, you're seeing it even in Spartan, like people with track and field backgrounds are coming in, people who were collegiate athletes, people who spent their whole lives maybe not doing this because this didn't exist, but they bring a skill set in and all of a sudden the game changes. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's it's then then that weekend warrior athlete that's like I really I really want to hit a podium or win a prize and it's like it gets harder and harder and harder. That's right, yeah. And as, as sports form, um, er, the early the first people in the early sport formation, it's very easy to form because everyone's figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And you see that like year one on the new what I would call uh, the modern iteration of obstacle sports because obstacle sports are, and obstacle course racing are actually very old. 
Um, it really got a resurgence in 2010 with the emergence of social media and the ability of people to push out real-time live stuff and you know, selfie and, and that kind of thing. Podcasts, good example. Mm-hmm. It gives presence to the sport and it, it caused a huge explosion of now modern-day OCR. Most people don't really realise that it started uh, somewhat informally in the late 1800s and was formalised in the 1900s. Um, an actual obstacle competition, which people still watch on YouTube, frequently in a lot of obstacle course races say, hey, that's cool, is the military obstacle run. Mm-hmm. And that thing gets tens or hundreds of millions of views because it's really fun. That was formalized as a competition at world level in 1946 and is, and is compete and over 100 countries compete in that event. This is another thing that people get confused on. What's an event? What's a discipline? What's a sport? Because mm-hmm. the sport is inclusive of lots of stuff, like yeah. athletics, 100 meters. Uh, well, athletics includes all sorts of things, but the 100 meters is a very long way from the hammer throw. Right, right. And they're all part of athletics. Yeah. Now, running is a technical discipline, or there are technical disciplines which have running. Sprint is a technical discipline in athletics. Uh, middle distance is a technical discipline. So they're disciplines. Yeah. Within each discipline are events. People kind of argue this thing currently in OCR. Well, that's not OCR, and this is not OCR, and that is, and, and well... They're all obstacle sports. They're just different events. Yeah. And that's good, healthy. Yeah. Should be lots of them. And especially for the everyday participant, you know, people are going to find preferences. People are going to like one brand over another brand. Exactly. And that's okay. Well, and that's another thing is that brands are not the sport. Yeah, exactly. Brands are what people do. And they're the owners of the the, uh, events for the most part in Mm -hmm. most sports, triathlon or whatever it might be. Their events... The races are put on by brands. Yeah, yeah. Like Spartan is a brand. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, the other races you might do would be different brands. And there are very, very few uh, federation races. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a very small number of them. At the world level, there's they can there's a very there's a tiny limited set of races. Spartan has like 275 races and 100 events each year. That's a lot. The federation will only ever have maybe six or eight. Ever. Right, that's right. it. That's the limit. Those are their sanctioned. Events. Well, they're the actual championship yeah, races. Yeah, championship so you have races. like the world championships mm-hmm. by federation. There's one. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. an event or set of events, mm-hmm. and currently there are none. Everything's a brand. Everything's a brand. Yeah, yeah. So going back to you a little bit. So you get out there and you you run these races, but you're not you're not pushing. You know, you'll push yourself out there, but you're not looking at you know how high I rank basically. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. Would you consider it just a little more recreational for you at this stage in your life? Yeah, well, at this stage it's, um, it's health and wellness yeah. mm-hmm. and staying active, uh, and, and work, which is not, it's not hard work. It's, it's my passion that I follow is my job, I guess. Yeah. And so I get to, I get to, uh, jump in races fairly frequently because that's what I need to do. And it I it need keeps to you connected with absolutely what you're actually, connected. you know, putting out there. It's a double-edged sword. Um, I'm often talking to the volunteers, the staff, the other athletes, just kind of probing them, understanding what they're feeling about the event. Did you like this? Did you like that? You know, I'm sort of chatting as I go along. And it, it actually, it sometimes, sometimes get blowback because athletes watch me running along talking and they're going, you're not taking it seriously. And I'm absolutely taking it seriously, not the way they are. Right, it's different. I'm, it's I'm trying to make the sport better yeah. as a whole and I need to be talking to you to do that. Yeah, and yeah. It, get, it gets even worse sometimes because as a pro athlete, former pro athlete, um, I didn't lose that 40 years of training. Right. So and I can jump in and I do track my time. So occasionally I will do quite well. 
maybe beating three or four age groups below me. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't look good, so I don't advertise it at all. Right. But I, because that's not the point. The point is I need to understand what all the athletes are thinking, doing, feeling, wanting, if everything's safe, does it meet? What, where, what are our opportunities as a community of athletes to make the sport better? That's what I'm doing. Yeah. And you're just keeping conditioned by getting out there and, you know, you're, you're keeping yourself well conditioned so that you don't, you, when you go out and you're beating those younger age groups, you don't have to try because you're just out there all the time. Well, and this is kind of the point of maintaining health as, as we age is that if you don't let it go, it's always there. Yes. Now, I believe, so I've not let it go, so I don't know what it feels like to let it go, but... I've seen it happen. I mean, I've seen contemporaries of mine who were maybe world champions in the 80s and they let it go and it's not pretty. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a good idea. So I think standing on the other side of the fence of I'm not going to let it go, I'm going to maintain a level of health and fitness and wellness uh, has all sorts of advantages. And if you if you choose as an older athlete to can keep competing, and this is common in OCR, I have many colleagues who were world champions in other sports who thought that their careers were over. Along comes OCR, and uh, here's some examples. Jenny Tobin. Mm -hmm. Jenny Tobin was uh, uh, actually a teammate of mine, and we won stuff, a Mm -hmm. lot of stuff. (laughs) She jumped into the first Spartan World Championships and won. Right. As a retired, I'm over at athlete. And like, oh, well, this is good. Um, and then uh, it, it's actually fairly common. You see triathletes. Heather Golnick is another great example. I, I interviewed her. She's been on yeah. the show. So Heather is performing yeah. at world level as an older age grouper. Yeah. Yeah, and she's so, in her late 40s mm-hmm, and she came exactly. from triathlon. And yeah, she's exactly. like, I'm going to try this new thing. This looks fun. And just in, instantly excelled at it. That's exactly right. And it's quite common. I mean, mm-hmm. you can see it. There's uh, Nordic skiers. There's mountain bikers. There's adventure athletes. There's all of these very, very good profession, former professional athletes who have a completely new lease on life. Yeah. And then it goes, it goes to the age group thing. So as the age groups uh, get more consolidated and, and common, then you can excel at every age. Yeah. And you don't have to be a world-class athlete necessarily. So, you know, you're, I, I'm you're an, always a world-class athlete because if you're world-class at 65 to 69 age group, you are still you a world-class world class. Yeah. But what I'm talking about is people, you know, I'm an example. Like I was never an elite athlete. I was never world-class, but I do like to challenge myself and I do like to push myself and I'm in my forties and I, and if I were to put myself in, in an elite race, like using Spartan as an example, I'd be way low down in the rankings, but as an age group athlete competing against others who may be of a similar caliber, some higher than me, and some maybe lower than me, but I actually can, I'm encouraged by how I do in these well, divisions. I think it's, it's a fair measurement too, mm-hmm. because it's, it's unfair for a, a 40 plus year old to compare them to self compare themselves to a 20 plus it's just a yeah. different thing it's the physiology physiology is different that's yeah right. that's exactly right yeah so it's it's nice to see these opportunities and it's not just an ocr you know ocr is starting to get into the age group divisions but they're taking it from running they're taking it from triathlon and things that have worked in those sports for for decades um that that these these age group divisions that people can then find themselves, you know, winning awards, rankings, and prizes. That's, and that's a well-established, um, that's a well-established system in sport in general. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, uh, it's good to see that the brands are picking it up and doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely the rule for, uh, for recognized sports. So yeah. you know, that's what will happen at the federation level. And another thing about the, the federation level for the athletes and opportunities is there's only one route to the games. Yeah. You cannot qualify for 
any um, major what we call they're called um, international multi-sport events now that's not lots of sports in one event but that's things like the Olympic Games is an international multi-sport event the Pan Am Games are the same so the Asia Games are the same so these games are international multi-sport events there's only one way to get there you cannot do it through a brand Mm-hmm. The, that does that that mechanism does not exist. You have to do it through the federation system. So when it goes to the official championships and the big platforms, you it's all done through country by country through the international federation to the big games platforms. The reason that that has some use for the community and the general athletes is that if you get stuff to a big platform, then uh, the advertising dollars and the sponsorship dollars flow back into the sport and make things cheaper. Mm-hmm. So then it makes it much more accessible for everyone. And at that point, and the reason I'll bring up the Olympic Games because that is the big platform. Sure. How many people watch, say, the Super Bowl? Like yeah. 110 million. How many people watch the Olympics? Five billion. Mm-hmm. So which platform do you want to be on? Right. Do you want to be on the big one or do you want to be on some something else? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. So you want, to, you want everything to be cheaper, better, um, better put together, safer, fairer. Go to the big platform. And that's what federations do. They, they create the structure, the governance and the recognition to go there. It's fascinating stuff. It's amazing, isn't and it? It's, a lot of people don't know <laughs> they have no idea. these inner workings. Yeah. No, so. no one really cares until it affects their hip pocket Yeah, for the most part, and so, which is what the point is. Make, yeah. it, make it cheaper, fairer. So you're all out there quietly working mm-hmm. to make things Very cheaper for thing. all of us. So that's really, if we really boil it down to a nutshell, to the average listener, the average consumer, the, the everyday, the open class athlete here, it's, you know, the federations are working to make it cheaper for you. The federations are the athletes. Yes. So it's by and for the athletes. Mm-hmm. They are the federations. It's the athletes acting for themselves to make everything cheaper, fairer, and safer safer for everyone. Yes. It's a very good system. Yes. Almost no one understands it. Right. No, it's true. (laughs) So really, if you're out there as an OCR athlete, any athlete, get involved in your federation, whatever sport that might be, get involved because this is your opportunity to shape your own sport and and make it for what you want it to be. That's what it is. And and these federations exist for all major sports, right? Uh, they do, yeah. yeah. This federa- in for So let's talk about the recognition level. And there's, I don't know how many, uh, probably hundreds of recognized sports. They're ones that meet all the criteria to be blessed by the ultimately the International Olympic Committee to say your governance is good, your structure is good, your processes are good, you're doing all the right things like anti-doping and gender equality and safe sport, like um, stuff for, to prevent predatory behavior by coaches and whatever. Uh, those things are necessary too. Safety, mm-hmm. medical, they're all part of it. Yeah. Um, if you meet all those criteria, you get recognized. Okay, yep, you're good. You're recognized. There's lots of those. Lots and lots. What surprises a lot of people at the Olympic Games, there historically has only been 26 sports. But they think, well, that doesn't make sense because I see all this stuff in the Olympics. Yeah. But they're events. Yeah, within the so, sport. Like yeah. Athletics has a lot of events. Mm-hmm. Swimming has a lot of events. Yeah. And this is where they kind of get balled up on the minutiae of what is a sport and what should it be. Right. Well, you know, it's kind of a general thing that helps all the events and all the disciplines and events. Yeah. That's really what it is. Yeah. And most people aren't going to. They don't care. They don't care. And they don't need to. They don't need to. They don't need to. Yeah. This is your job to care. (laughs) We we as athletes look after ourselves. Yes. And this is the mechanism. That's important. So I know you got to get going real soon. You got a busy day out here. They're they're, uh, keeping you active. That's what I told told Rod uh, when I interviewed him, Rod Dixon. You have a busy day. And he's like, I don't recognize busy. That's just how I live. And I said, okay, they're keeping you active. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Necessary. Yes. I, um, I just like to ask one parting piece of wisdom you're as an as an older athlete as someone who works with and for 
athletes of all ages. Um, if you could give one parting piece of wisdom to our listeners, uh, whether it's related to what you do uh, with World OCR, whether it's related to your own competitive journey or your, your own uh, fitness journey, uh, if you had one parting piece of wisdom, what would that be? <laughs> the most important thing for health, wellness and longevity, but doing it in a way that's, uh, that is productive, is to stay active, physically active. People seem to think, yeah, you kind of look after yourself from the mental and emotional side. It's actually very difficult without the physical. In fact, you can't without your body. So you have to have a healthy body. And a healthy body leads to a healthy mind. So you just have to remain active. And active can be whatever you make it. Active can be park at the distant end of the parking lot to go to the grocery store. That's active. Do not take the escalator, take the elevator. I mean, take the stairs. Take the stairs. Take the stairs. Those things, are they're small, but they add up over a day. Yeah. And like that 10,000 10, step thing is real. So um, another one is sitting. Don't sit. Yeah. We if really should s- stop doing that right now. Well, there's data yeah. around it. If you, every hour you sit over four hours a day, so you kind of get limited to four hours a day of sitting, you lose um, 26 minutes off your life. It's a huge number. Yeah. And it's, it, it's supported by trillions of hours of data now over almost two, 20 years. Um, so don't sit. I mean, do, do sit. When do you, if you have to. But move. But yeah, get up and Be move. Active. And that's why you do know, what a human does. things like, uh, like Fitbit will have you know, hourly step goals and things like that. So yeah. you get up and move every hour. That will help. You know, and so. these, these things need to be embedded in your lifestyle. So mm-hmm. it becomes a lifestyle thing. Um, just stay active. And it, it doesn't have to be aerobic, high-end aerobic or you know, full aerobic output, which is high workload. That's great, um, which is what <laughs> racing is ultimately. Mm-hmm. It's the constant low-level stuff of moving. Yeah. Very simple. And it starts with that, and it can stay with that, or it could you know, grow into something else. Yeah. And, and then, then all this stuff that we talked about, you're like, okay, yeah, then athletic, sport. I get it now. And that's, you know, and that's, that's when the fun starts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Ian, thank you so much for it taking the time for, to be on the season athlete podcast. Um, if people want to learn more about world OCR, um, how can they do that? Worldocr.org. That's easy. Or at world OCR for the social media, social media. Perfect. And how about you? Uh, if people want to learn more about uh, you. Ianadamson.com. Cool. Thank you, Ian. Thank you for being on the Season Athlete Podcast. Thank you. All right, Season Athletes, here are a few top takeaways from my conversation with Ian Adamson. Number one, stop sitting. Studies show that for every hour you sit per day, you lose 26 minutes of your life. That time adds up. Obviously, it's impossible to completely avoid sitting, but be sure you're getting up at least once an hour to walk around and find small ways to keep moving throughout the day. Number two, the most important thing you can do for health, wellness, and longevity is to stay active. Regardless of whether or not you've been participating in sport your entire life, it's important to stay active even if you're no longer competing. As Ian says, if you don't let it go, it's always there. And number three, get involved in the federation for your sport. All major sports have a federation representing them, and the federation is typically by the athletes and for the athletes, helping to make that sport cheaper, more fair, and safer for all who participate, just like World OCR does for obstacle course racing. Learn more about how this works by researching and getting involved in your sports federation. Thanks again to Ian Adamson. Thank you for listening to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. The music you heard in this episode is from international touring sensation Jason Achilles. Learn more about him at jasonachilles.com. Do you know someone who would make a great guest on this show? Or do you have a unique and inspirational story to share? Shoot us an email, seasonedathlete at gmail.com. 
Check out our entire library of episodes and get to know our distinguished seasoned athlete alumni at seasonedathlete.me. And if you live in the Los Angeles area and are feeling super inspired to train like a seasoned athlete, visit rutsm.com and learn about how to train with me to help bring out the seasoned athlete in you. Now go out there and embrace your extraordinary, my fellow seasoned athletes, because you so can.